everybody and welcome to From the Mezzanine. I'm your host, Lindsay Stone. From the Mezzanine is the Broadway podcast for the Broadway fans, where we talk about all things Broadway grosses, Broadway news, and let's be honest, all of the Broadway tea and gossip that happens week to week in the Broadway stratosphere. Welcome, guys. How is everybody doing? I'm so excited because tomorrow I am embarking on a theatrical journey that will play out on YouTube. I am going to vlog the whole thing. I am headed to Washington, D.C to go to the Kennedy Center production of Tick, Tick, Boom. And I am so lit for it. My baby girl, who I love with my full heart, Gray Henson, is in this show. And I cannot wait to see him in it. But more importantly, I, like many of you, I'm sure, am obsessed with Tick, Tick, Boom. I loved that movie that was probably like I remember when that movie was expected to come on Netflix I was so so excited I didn't know any of the music um and I frankly didn't know what the story was about other than that it was like semi-autobiographical of Jonathan Larson who wrote Rent and so I was very excited for that reason I don't think I really had seen Andrew Garfield in anything before so it was like an interesting casting to me but now I am since obsessed with that movie it is my favorite movie musical out there and I'm so excited but I do have to correct one thing that I said I believe last week in the episode when Bryn and I shout out Bryn she was so amazing on the podcast if y'all haven't listened to last week's episode you've got to go back and listen because it was so fun to have her on and I am pretty sure it seemed like y'all really enjoyed that episode and if you didn't listen go back and listen to last week's episode because it was just we had a ball talking all things Broadway on here but where was I going with that? Oh, last week we were saying that we thought it was only like a three person cast, but it in fact is not. There is an ensemble. I was really like confused kind of about the way the play was structured because in the movie there's all of these characters, but I had only known that there were going to be three people in the live production of Tick, Tick, Boom we were going to go and see. But now since that episode, they have released the whole ensemble. And so now I know, oh, it's not just three people. There's an ensemble. So that clears up some of my confusion there that I had but I am so excited it's directed by Neil Patrick Harris believe it or not uh the the show that we're going to see is so maybe I'll see Neil Patrick Harris I've actually never seen him before that would be so cool I would have to imagine that he would probably go to all performances since it's only going to be on I think for like two weeks like no more than two weeks so it's it's a super super short stint which is why we're kind of like grabbing our bags and running to DC to go and see it at this kind of like inopportune time just been really busy and so it's uh yeah we we definitely have put in a lot of effort to make it to this show but I'm so excited and I might be just spitting spewing falsehoods here but y'all know how shows like come into the public domain or they can be bought for like community theaters to be putting them on well I haven't ever seen Tick Tick Boom being put on many places other than like that one Encores production and now I'm starting to see maybe for some reason it's popularized or maybe it's like being able to be sold to community theaters to put on because I just saw another theater in New York is planning to do it soon and so I I think I'm gonna love the play the musical just as much as I love the movie and and so I'm just really excited and we will recap it next week on from the mezzanine of our Washington DC weekend and then like I said I'm going to vlog the whole weekend I am going to uh pretend to be a youtuber I've never 
done YouTube before. And so I'm excited to kind of like give it a try. And while we're talking about YouTube, guys, I made a commitment to y'all at the beginning of this month and we are getting very dangerously close to the end without hitting 50 subscribers. I told you guys, and I am sticking to it, that I will, me, myself, and I, Lindsay Stone, host of From the Mezzanine, will go in front of the Richard Rogers Theater, and I will belt out a Hamilton song, and I will post it on my social media. Only if we hit 50 subscribers on YouTube. If you don't subscribe already, it will be at the top of the show notes, so you can go click that link and go and subscribe um, for my... Um, less technically savvy people out there. If you have a Gmail, you have a YouTube account so you can subscribe to me. You don't have to like have a whole account set up. Um, I honestly didn't know that for a really long time. But if you want to see me embarrass myself and also if you want uh, from the mezzanine to hit this milestone of 50 subscribers on YouTube, go and subscribe, please. It's just called From the Mezzanine, a Broadway podcast. It looks the same as it does on wherever you're listening right now. You, you should be able to find me pretty easily. But go and subscribe and and if I hit 50 by the end of January, well, you're going to see a very embarrassing video on your social media feed. <laughs> yep. But I said it. I committed to it. I literally just like, I don't know what came over me in that moment. I did not plan on doing that. But I was like, I need a reason for people to go and, and subscribe to me on YouTube. And uh, and that's what I thought of. So I'm going to go belt Hamilton, but only if we hit 50 subscribers. I think we're kind of close. I, last time I checked, I think we were at 31. And so, yeah, like once I made that that commitment, a lot of y'all said, Lindsay, I want to see you do that. And I got a lot of subscribers like in one big chunk, but it's dwindling down. So I'm I'm wondering if we're going to hit it, but it can only be achieved with the help of you guys. So go hit that subscribe. And to my listeners who have already subscribed, thank you. But also thanks a lot because now I'm going to have to go make a fool of myself. You know what this could do for my reputation? You know what it could do? No, I'm just kidding. I'm excited to do it. I, I Let's be honest. I, I probably belt a musical th song like when I cross any theater, like I just walk past Chicago. Oh, start singing. And then passing Book of Mormon. I believe it just like puts the songs in my head. So I probably already do it subconsciously. But now I'm going to really go out there and, and make a fool of myself and post it online for all of y'all to question. Why do I listen to her podcast every week? She is a weirdo. But hey, while you're at it, I've been having a lot of fun over at TikTok. If you don't follow me on TikTok, head on over there. I know a lot of y'all follow me on Instagram. And I've actually been putting out some polls on Instagram just to kind of like check what my listeners are feeling. Um, just kind of thinking about the future of what I want this podcast to look like. And so if you want to say in that, I, I really interact heavily with my listeners on Instagram. And I'm really appreciative to all my listeners for interacting with me and, and sharing your thoughts because those I read everything that you send me and it is so, so appreciative. Also, if you ever want to DM me like a Broadway news story you want me to talk about on the podcast, feel free to do it um, because I, I'm, let's be honest, I do spend probably too much time on Instagram. But anyways, that's not what we're here to talk about, guys. Let's talk about this past week in Broadway fun that I had. Oh my gosh, we have quite a bit to recap. First and foremost, I want to tell y'all about The Connector, which is the new Jason Robert Brown musical that is currently at the MTC Theater. 
Yes. And this, I had no idea what I was getting into. I knew it was Jason Robert Brown. So I knew, okay, I'll probably like it. Jason Robert Brown. He's the man behind Parade 13, the last five years, the last five years being the show that raised me. I love that musical. Um, and so I knew I would enjoy this show. But this was a different sort of musical for Jason Robert Brown, for sure. It, it, it felt very different. A lot of similarities. You can see where the lines cross between, like, say this and parades. Some of the melodies sound a little bit similar. But it was definitely different. And it wowed me. It really did. I think one of its biggest high points for me one was the cast. It had been Levi Ross at the helm of it. And he was in Dear Evan Hansen. And he is very talented. I don't want to make this comparison because he does stand alone on his own talent. But he is somewhat similar to Ben Platt. I I really saw a lot of similarities in not only him sounding like Ben Platt. And of course, they were both in Dear Evan Hansen, but also a lot of similarities between um, Leo Frank in Parade and uh, Ben Levi Ross's character in The Connector. I saw a lot of similarities between those characters, both visually, they look very similar, and then also some characteristics. So that was interesting to see. Uh, But he is a very, very talented performer. Great actor, great actor. But then his vocals... They are they are just as strong, but they are very similar to Ben Platt. And that is without a doubt a humongous compliment because I am a huge Ben Platt fan and I love his voice. Um, But let me tell you a little, little, little bit about the story. This is what they say on their website about the story because I don't want to give too much away. But they say, quote, the connector follows two young journalists played by Ben Levi Ross and Hannah Cruz in the late 1990s, pitting ambition against values in the race for the ultimate scoop. So, yes, they're both journalists working for magazines slash newspapers. And basically, there's the social dynamics and the gender dynamics at play. Um, Ben Levi Ross's character immediately shoots to the top. Meanwhile, Hannah Cruz's character has to really fight to be seen and heard and to get her articles across the desks of the the higher ups. And so there's sort of that dynamic and that power struggle there. Then at the same time, these two young journalists are friends. They're friendly. And so there's there's that part of the equation that she wants something so desperately. She wants to to be successful and he gets it so easily. Um, But then at the end of the day, they're also trying to be friendly and then ultimately they can't see eye to eye and they go two very separate ways and that is detrimental to Ben Levi Ross's character and soon soon he is not doing good I don't want to give too much away but I will say I felt very seen by Hannah Cruz's character because she plays this actress who is from Fort Worth Texas when I heard her say that I was like, no way. This is too close to home. She even mentioned this diner that her character like used to work at. You know, she used to be a waitress before she moved to the big city to be a journalist. And she even mentioned Old South Pancake House, which is a real diner restaurant in Fort Worth, Texas that I have been to. So that was crazy. And there was a song where they sang um, every Texan is an or something like that. Oh, beep. Sorry. Um, But that was just that was pretty funny. And it kind of felt a little close to home with me moving from Fort Worth to the big city uh, and all of the changes and, and different personality types you didn't interact with beforehand. And 
and it it was a it was really really close to home that one was but all in all I would recommend seeing the show because it really really makes you think and for me the second biggest thing aside from the cast being very strong was the set I'm obsessed with this set I put an image of it up on my Instagram story when I went and saw it but the backdrop is essentially like hundreds of big magazine spreads and they're all held on by these like clips and they're just covering from the top to the bottom, covering the entire back wall of the stage. And that was pretty interesting and in how they used that and the lighting design involved with that. That was really, really cool. So there were some like pitfalls to the show that I don't really want to touch on because I think it just now like truly opened. Um, for me, Sometimes the story was a little unrealistic, I would say, uh, not very down to earth. Sometimes it was like very symbolic too, like what they were doing and what they were singing about was symbolizing a bigger thing rather than in a lot of musicals. It's 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 very straightforward and you don't have to think about it's you know it's giving play energy this musical is giving play energy whereas you leave a play you've got a lot of thought uh there probably is a lot of symbolism what did this mean what did that mean when that actor said this like what what's the dynamic there this musical is giving that i hope that that makes sense because i feel like that's a lot more common in plays to be there's got to be a word for it, but in my mind, it's just like up in the air. Like it's just not realistic necessarily. You have to really think about it to find out what the meaning of the musical is. And and that's how I felt about, about this musical. Like I wish there was a talk back at the end where somebody would explain parts of the musical. But that's unique and that's fun. It's certainly unlike anything I'd ever seen before for that reason primarily. Um, and so that was, that was really, really interesting. Do I think it's going to transfer to Broadway? I don't. Um, one, it's called The Connector. It's not a recognizable name. And it really is feeling right now like on Broadway, you need that familiar name. But all in all, I was really happy that I saw it. I'll always see anything by Jason Robert Brown. Um, but I do want to say that they just extended how long this was going to be playing at the MCC Theater. Oh, I think earlier I said MTC. It's the MCC Theater. Uh, let me correct that. Sorry, guys. Um, but yes, it was originally only going to run until February 18th, but now it is actually going to be playing through March 3rd. So that gives you some more time to go. Um, and I just want to let you all know, we did like the early rush for it, which I believe was 30 to $35. And the box office opens two hours before curtain. And so it's not like your typical rush situation where you need to go like, early early for the box office to open at 10 no the box office opened two hours before curtain and so we were able to uh to secure those good seats they were good we were on the second row um and it's a tiny theater so wherever you sit is going to be good also i want to note i did not know this person but i do believe he's a very well-known actor scott bakula plays one of the lead roles in this he's like the ceo of the big magazine company the connector um and and he was good and it was cool to see him i didn't know him before i have to admit i'm pretty sure he's a pretty big name in ncis i believe um and so if you're a scott bakula fan you may want to go and see The Connector while it's on. Okay, and then I want to tell you about Gutenberg because it's about to close. We're not going to talk about it. it. closes this weekend. By the time that this episode comes out, it will have already closed. But 
I had to go and see it one last time. So I went and saw it on Tuesday. We had standing room tickets. And believe it or not, it wasn't bad. If you ever want to go do standing room at the James Earl Jones Theater, um, they have like this nice beam that's plush that you can kind of lean up against. So it's pretty comfortable. And then there were open seats for the second act. So we were able to sit down through the second act. But to talk about the things y'all really care about. One, our producer was Shoshana Bean, who we had just seen in um, Hell's Kitchen. So that was, you know, it's always exciting because she's such an amazing singer. So at the end, when the producer comes out, they join in with uh, Josh Gad and Andrew Rannells on stage and they sing a little bit. And Shoshana just her voice rang from the heavens. It was beautiful, beautiful. But TBH, I was a little let down because I was like, Shoshana, I saw you like two weeks ago. But it's okay. It's still cool. And then also the evolution of this show is amazing. So when I first saw this show, it was on its opening preview night. I was one of the first people to ever, ever, ever see it. And and it has changed so much. It is still just as funny. The humor has not gone up or it has not gone down. It is still freaking amazing. There's a reason that I have seen it five times. Um, but now, like, the, the humor has shifted to Josh Gad, truly is not even trying not to break. He was breaking throughout the entire show. Usually at the beginning when I would go and see the show, they would kind of do these jabs, Andrew Annals and Josh Gadwood, and you could tell they were trying to like get under each other's skin to make the other one laugh. And and they, they would break just a little bit, but they'd pull themselves back together to keep the show moving forward. Now, uh-uh, honey, you're going to kind of make one of them break, and then everybody's just belly laughing for minutes on end and at one moment they were having some technical difficulties I still don't know exactly with what but the band was like leaving the stage to figure something out and then coming back and I know because I've seen it many times before that the band never leaves the stage and so something was going on the the band was missing cues uh I I don't know what was going on but something with uh the technical effects was going wrong. And at one point, the band missed a cue and Josh Gad turned around and he literally said, I'm going to to bleep myself. But he said, bleep you and just shouted it. And it was so funny, completely out of character. But that is what the people want. Thank you, Josh Gad, for giving what the people want. And furthermore, let's continue to give the Gutenberg fans exactly what they want. And please, I am begging. I am begging they release a cast album. I need it. I know I've said it on here before, but I'm going to use my platform for what I believe in. And I need a Gutenberg cast album in a bad way. Please, please, please what I would give to hear. Might as well, might as well go to hell. That is my favorite song in the show, but there are so many good songs in the show. I love I love biscuits. I love haunted German wood, haunted German wood. You haunted and you German. And I mean, come on, this show's so good. Anyways, okay, at one point also, like they started to break and then it just was getting bigger and bigger and bigger. And like they, there was no end in sight of when everybody was going to stop cracking up, including the actors on stage. Everybody was laughing. And Josh Gad checks his watch and he says, at this rate, we're going to run longer than merrily we roll along. And then boom, everybody just it's it's like how do you even come back from that it was so funny but um I, I couldn't let that be my last time at Gutenberg literally while I was watching it I was thinking to myself this is not my last time seeing it mind you 
it was leaving in six days at that point. But I said, I've got to go again. And so after I wrap this podcast, I'm going again. My dear sweet fiance slash editor, he stood out in line for the rush this morning. He got there so early because the rush lines have been insane, guys. Insane, like 100 people long. I'm not over exaggerating. They've been really, really long. Longest I've ever seen. Anyway, so we got there super early and we got standing room because they only gave out four rush tickets, which is just crazy because whenever they started their run, we we rushed it so often and we always got great seats. So now that we're rushing it and getting standing room, we're just fortunate to be able to get that. But anyways, yes, after I wrap this, I have to go and see it one more time, truly because it was me and Reed's like favorite show that we've ever seen together. And so we wanted to see it just one last time, officially one last time together, even though it's a little crazy because I'm leaving for DC early tomorrow morning. But you got to do what you have to do for the shows that you love. And I'm not going to be okay. Like, I'm going to be so sad that it's actually my last time seeing it. But we're not going to talk about that. Moving on, guys. Let's talk about our Broadway grosses. <laughs> last year, they were crazy and Sweeney was number one because Josh and Annalie Ashford were leaving. But now the understudies are in Sweeney Todd. So let's see where Sweeney Todd ranks now with the understudies in. Starting off, The Lion King is number one. That is to be expected. Um, and they're at 95% capacity, almost a full house. Hamilton is second. Okay, Wicked is third. Last week, remember, w Wicked was like fifth. That was crazy. But now we're looking like we typically look. Lion King, Hamilton, Wicked. Those are typically our top three. Merrily We Roll Along is number four at 100% capacity. No surprises there. MJ the Musical is five, and they're at 95% capacity, and Gutenberg is six. Holy cannoli, no way. Oh my God, I'm so happy. Gutenberg is number six. Next week, I, I literally just got real chills. Next week, I bet they're going to be top three. Guys, this is astounding for more reasons than one. Gutenberg has only... Like for their full week of capacity, they had 8,000 people in their theater, whereas The Lion King had nearly 13,000 people in their theater. But Lion King is number one and Gutenberg is number six. Crazy. It just goes to show that even, even the small theaters, if they got a good show, they can make a lot of money and they can bring a lot of people in. Way to go, Gutenberg! I'm so excited. I'm so, so, so excited. G-U-T-E-N-B-E-R-G. Woo! I love Gutenberg. Okay, I'm so happy. Oh my God, I can't believe. I wonder where they're going to be at next week. I just love, I love Gutenberg with my whole heart. Okay, we need the cast album. Just want to say that one more time just to make myself clear in case you, you didn't hear it the first time. Okay, Moulin Rouge is actually number seven which is very odd. I haven't seen them that high in so long. Uh, Boy George isn't on yet. He's going to be on February 6th, I believe. And so I don't know why they're so high. That is a really, really interesting. OK, but just we need to note we haven't seen Sweeney yet. OK, so Moulin Rouge is number seven. Eight is Harry Potter and the Cursed Child. They only had 85 percent. That's not that great. Aladdin is number nine. And Juliet is number 10, guys. So Sweeney Todd is not even top 10. OK, let's keep moving on. Uh, Back to the Future is 11. Book of Mormon is 12. Six is 13. Spamalot is 14. Sweeney Todd is 15. But. Hear me out. 
They have 90% capacity. That's really not that bad. Spamalot right above them only had 70% capacity. That is not good. Not good at all. Um, but I mean, this is to be expected. It's crazy. It's crazy that last week, guys, Sweeney Todd grossed over $2 million. And then this week, just with a simple changing of the casting, only grossed almost 800000 So not even half. Less than half of what they grossed last week, they grossed this week. But if you're not loyal to Josh Groban and Anna Lee Ashford, Sweeney Todd is still an amazing show. The cast is amazing. The choreography, the set, the orchestra. Honey, the orchestra of Sweeney Todd is what gets me in my chest. It is a huge, huge orchestra, and it produces this huge sound. And so I would definitely still recommend... If you're not going to Sweeney Todd to see Josh Groban, I would still recommend going to see Sweeney Todd because he's not the one who makes or breaks the show. And I am certain, I can say it with utmost certainty, I know these understudies are freaking talented. Maybe I'll go see it with the understudies because I just love the show. I'd like to see it again. I might go rush it. Anyways, that folks, that is our grosses for the week. Alrighty, let's get into our Broadway news. Okay, okay, okay. All right, we're going to tackle this one. I was just in a good mood because I'm seeing Gutenberg tonight. But in that same breath, I have to report, in all seriousness, the very freaking sad news that made me sick that How to Dance in Ohio is closing on Broadway. Please, Please, if you're not familiar with the show, please, please let me tell you about it because it is so, so incredible. So this show, How to Dance in Ohio, is based off of an HBO documentary about young adults with autism who are kind of just navigating life and they all are participating in this small group um, with Dr. Amigo and Dr. Amigo wants to help them build their social skills, uh, build their friendships, build their relationships, build themselves up as a person. And through that, he decides, hey, let's plan a dance. This will be a great, great learning lesson for all of y'all to just build your social skills, put yourself in an uncomfortable situation and, and work your way through it. Ask people to the dance, learn how to dance. It's a remarkable story. And by the end of it, the kids, no, I don't want to say kids, the young adults, in this show, they rise to the occasion and you see them flourish. And the most beautiful part, the story is beautiful, but one of the most beautiful parts of this show is the fact that there are seven autistic young, young adults that are cast in this show. And they are stars. To quote Mean Girls, you're all stars. They are stars. They're incredible. You see their personality shine through their characters. They are so talented. And this is a story that needs to be told possibly more than any other story on Broadway. I'll say that. That's a big statement, but this is a show that needs to be seen. And this is a story that needs to be told. But Broadway is a business. And you can only do so much when your show is not reaching an audience and not profiting. And that is what I hate about Broadway. I hate we can't live in all rainbows and unicorns, and I hate that good shows have to close with good people in them and with talented performers in them. I hate that good shows that don't deserve to close have to close. So that is why I am sick that How to Dance in Ohio is closing. 
This show was so highly anticipated from the theater community, but I just feel like it could not penetrate that broader audience of the general public who has the funds to go and see Broadway. For some reason that is unbeknownst to me, it couldn't penetrate that audience. But dang, did they try. Their marketing was amazing. They were on so many shows. They performed at the Macy's Thanksgiving Day Parade. They really put everything into making this show a success that they could, I feel. I really feel like they did everything that they could and they couldn't find an audience. And I wish that the theater would say, hey, we'll give you a couple more months and give you some more time to hopefully find an audience because it's not going to happen immediately for an original musical unless you're rent. It's not going to happen immediately. And so the fact that the fact that they have to throw in the towel, I'm sick about. I'm sick for the cast because they all deserve to be on Broadway. All of their performance are Tony worthy. They are so talented and how hard they had to work to get to where they are is astounding. It's amazing and it's a beautiful, beautiful thing. And I'm so, 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 so downhearted to report that How to Dance in Ohio is closing. It will play its final performance at the Belasco Theater on February 11th. At the time of its closing, it will have played 27 previews and 72 performances. I think it can be said that this is going to go down as a flop. That's all I have to say. I'll read the quote of, um, of the statement that the producers put out. So they said, quote, Developing new work is always a risk, but producing this show was an endeavor we eagerly accepted. Quote, they go on to say, quote, we are incredibly proud that this original, joyful and life affirming musical has deeply moved countless audience members at the Belasco Theater and beyond. Broadway has been changed forever because of How to Dance in Ohio and all the artists involved. We look forward to seeing its legacy continue in new and exciting ways, quote. It's a beautiful statement and it's so true. It has deeply moved so many audiences. That's all there is to be said. I can't even put into words how excited I was that this show was coming to Broadway. We've been talking about it for months. We were talking about it for so long before it came. And to see it leave just as fast as it came makes me so sad. I feel like the fact that it says they've already played 72 performances, I'm shocked because that number feels so high, but it feels like it was just yesterday that I was at their opening night. It had pretty good reviews. It really did. And, and, and they did everything they could. They did everything they could, but some shows, no matter how much they want to and how much they try, some shows don't make it on Broadway. And that's the sad part about the industry that we all love and adore. But it's, it's the realistic view of it. And you have to be realistic. I think, I think this news about how to dance in Ohio closing really shook me for more reasons than one because it made me question, you know, why do I have such an allegiance to Broadway when it doesn't, it doesn't empower the stories that need to be told? Um, and that's really still something that I'm, I struggle with because this is this if there's a show that needs to be seen, it's this one. And so why am I supporting an industry that doesn't also support this show? You know, like that just makes me sad. But 
it's a business. You just have to remind yourself. There's people in the higher ups who probably manage how to dance in, o not how to dance in Ohio, but are managing the Belasco Theater. And they're looking at the ticket sales and saying, we're losing money. We're losing money. And and as somebody who's in the business world, I really understand that side of it, too. But I wish it was I wish I wish it was all rainbows and butterflies. And I wish I had an endless bucket of money that I could just keep producing the show and putting it on and putting it on just because it deserves to be seen and because this cast deserves to perform and be on Broadway. But that's that's not realistic and that's not the world that we live in. And it's unfortunate that we just have to face that sometimes. And I feel like How to Dance in Ohio's announcement comes as a wake up call that this just happens. And uh, I just pray that this isn't the last show that is raising people with autism's voices and casting them and 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 celebrating uh who they are i i remember one of the uh one of the critical reviews had said um in past shows people that are not neurotypical are put on stage and they're kind of poked at and prodded at and made like the weirdo and this show is the first show that we've seen where that person is raised up and celebrated and I hope this isn't the last of that that's that's my piece that's all I want to say and I know a lot of you guys I know so many of my listeners really love this show and guys I hear you I feel you it's sad but I think at the very least something that we can gather from that this is that this show did raise up it's amazing cast of people with autism and I just know these people are going to get casted and casted and casted because they are so talented and uh, at the very least they can add Broadway actor to their resume and that's going to help them going forward because these people are young. They've got their whole careers ahead of them. So at the very least this did great things for their careers and then they're freaking awesome. So go see How to Dance if you haven't already because it's a beautiful story with some amazing amazing talent that's just a marvel and i dare you not to cry because it's gonna move you big time so moving on in broadway news let's see what else do we have to talk about to try and get us out of this rut so we have some national tour news in more ways than one. First, I just want to touch on the fact that The Wiz, which is already coming to Broadway, as we know, is also going to be heading on a national tour. It's always weird to me when shows announce a Broadway tour before they've even come to Broadway. Obviously, this is a revival, but it's also just like it's kind of bizarre to me. It's like, shouldn't you like make sure you're a success on Broadway? But I also see the marketing perspective of like, I live in Tennessee. I can't go all the way to New York. I want to see the show that's going on in New York. So I also get that aspect of it, too. Plus, it is a revival, so it does make sense. But anyway, so The Wiz is going to hit the road again, not for the first time. And guess what? The only city announced so far is Dallas, Texas. Shout out, Texas. Y'all are going to be the first to get to see The Wiz on its national tour. And it is going to be playing in Dallas from September 9th to the 21st. And it's in 2025. So we've got a hot minute before we get excited about this. Uh, it's pretty far in advance, but it's a coming. You can start looking forward to it. And in other national tour news, thought this was pretty interesting. The Beauty and the Beast is going to go on a reimagined national tour. Okay, what does that mean? I don't know because I am a very curious. I like Beauty and the Beast. I wish it was Little Mermaid and I feel like that would be more apropos considering the movie just came out. I feel like it's a good time to put it back on Broadway. I really wish it would. I really wish it would. But anyways, the Disney Broadway 
Empire expands as the Beauty and the Beast is embarking on a national tour. The COO of the Disney theatrical group, Thomas Schumacher, 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 I don't know how to say his last name, says in a quote, we've heard from audiences for three decades now that the Beauty and the Beast has touched them in a profound way. These characters and this sweeping story, he goes on to say, quote, how proud we are then to bring this refreshed and human take on the show with the scale and spectacle the title deserves to longtime fans and an entirely new generation. This beauty is for them. So Beauty and the Beast is going to be starting their national tour at Proctor's Theater in June of 2025. Once again, it's a while down the road, so let's not get too excited just yet. We know that the tour is going to be stopping in Minneapolis at the Orpheum Theater, but the casting and the full itinerary of this is going to be a two-year tour, but that whole itinerary has not been released yet. So that is just about all we know. But I want to know, how is it reimagined? What direction are we going in here for Beauty and the Beast? Well, this article from Playbill, which will be in the show notes, says that there is going to be new dance and music arrangements. Okay, very interesting. I love a I love a revamp, refreshing something. You know, these stories that were created back in the when would Beauty and the Beast have come out? 2000s probably. Uh they're not so relevant these days. So, I love a revamp. I think I I I believe in the revamp. It doesn't always have to be, you know, the same as it once was. Oh, here we go. So this is actually, it's, it gives me all of the information I need to know. See, I'm just spewing these, these thoughts without uh, reading the full article. But this says that the, the film came out in 1991 and then the Broadway show began in 1994 after 5,461 performances. Dang, that was successful. That is awesome. It says that it is currently the 10th longest running Broadway show of all time. The more you know. Yeah, it ran for almost eight years. Okay, all right. I see this. I'm surprised it hasn't come back more recently. That's awesome. Okay, I'm very excited about this. I like Disney's Beauty and the Beast. Um, Not my favorite musical by any stretch, but certainly going to be a successful national tour. I can totally see it. But they haven't announced that it's coming to Broadway, so it's just going to go on a tour. Love that. I think that's good. All right. Well, that wraps up this episode of From the Mezzanine. Thank you guys so much for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, please, please stop what you're doing and leave me a review. It does such amazing things for the podcast that you know and love, guys. I, it's been a little dry in the review section here recently. So if you wouldn't mind, guys, just go say say some kind words. Say, oh, Lindsay keeps me up to date on Broadway news. And also, I love her YouTube. Ha <laughs> ha. Go subscribe on YouTube. <laughs> no, but seriously, I would love a review, guys. Please leave me a review wherever you are listening. Share this episode with your Broadway bestie to keep them up to date with what's going on in the Broadway stratosphere. I am certain, aren't you, that they're going to enjoy it just as much as you do. Thank you once again for listening. You can go find all of my social media channels down in the show links below, including YouTube, TikTok, and Instagram. Guys, I will see you next Tuesday. Bye! Bye!